0: Canon Press presents the weekly sermon from Christ Church, Moscow, Idaho, copyright 2018. If you would like to find out more about Canon Press materials and products, you may call 1-800-488-2034. For a complete list of our products or to order online, please visit our website at canonpress.com. Enjoy the sermon. Amen. Our sermon text this morning is taken from Isaiah chapter 40. Verses 1 through 11, these are the very words of God. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. And every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringeth good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Our God and Father, we thank you that you are the good shepherd and that you lead your flock. Father, we ask that you would feed us and carry us this morning. Meet us here, come to us, because we are bold to ask for this in Jesus' name, amen. We don't celebrate Advent or Christmas as reenactors. We don't celebrate Advent and Christmas as reenactors. We are not trying to pretend that Christ has, has not come yet. It's not as though we're imagining um, that we are uh, Zechariah or we are Isaiah or we are Malachi waiting uh, for the Lord. That's, that's not what we're doing. Uh, as Christians celebrating Advent and Christmas. Of course, it's perfectly fine to remember what, what they went through, to remember that they did long for the comest coming Messiah and they waited and, and so on. It's perfectly good and right to do so, do so but we're not pretending that we are them. We're not not imagining that we need to sort of pretend that we don't know the end of the story and and that somehow there's some spiritual good there for us to pretend that. That's, That's not the point of our Christmas and Advent celebrations. We celebrate Advent and Christmas as believers. We celebrate Advent and Christmas as believers. We believe that Christ was born, he came, and therefore all the promises of God have come true and are coming true. Because Emmanuel has come, we take this time each year to remember and celebrate what is true all the time. So what, we're, what we want to celebrate here at Advent and Christmas um, fundamentally ought to be the sort of thing that we would celebrate in July. Now we might celebrate it differently, we might not have the tree up in July, but what we're celebrating is true in July. July what we're commemorating, what we're wanting to grow in as Christians is just as true in July as it is right now today and as as it will be on December 25th. And that, the fundamental thing that we are celebrating in Advent, which is true every day of the year, is that we serve the God who has come, who continues to come, and who will come again to judge the world. That's what the word Advent means. It means coming. It means arrival, arrival. And so to celebrate, the, celebrate Advent is to celebrate the fact that our God comes. He is the God who comes to his people. He hears their cries and he comes. He comes and he meets with them. He comes and he delivers them. He comes and he judges them. And we know this preeminently because he has come to us in Jesus, in Emmanuel. And though we are now waiting for him to come again, he is still Emmanuel. He is still God with us. He is still the God who meets us in prayer, in worship, in the word, in the fellowship of the saints, where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of them. Uh, When we call on him, he is not far off, he is near. And so this is what we want to be reminded of during the season of Advent and Christmas, that we serve the God who has come, the God who comes, the God who will always come, the God who will come. So we're not in the exact same position as the old testament saints who needed to prepare for the lord for his first advent we're not in the exact same position we still do indeed prepare him room and so this is why and this is because it's the same god now they were preparing for a particular advent and they were and they had not yet met him in the flesh they had not yet seen him in the flesh we have now we have the record of that we have seen the gospel unfold we've seen him born live die, rise again, ascend into heaven. We know that, and yet at the same time, it's the same God with whom we have to do. That same God is the God who meets us. That same God is the God who will come again. So we still indeed prepare him room. We are all practicing to meet Jesus every day because he comes every day. Right? There's this, there, there's, you wake up every morning and Jesus is there. God is there. God is still with us. And so you don't wake up in your house and it's, it's really not just you and your husband or you and your wife and you and the kids and, and the boarders or whoever or your roommates. It's you and those people and Jesus always. He is always there. He is God with us. And so we're all practicing to meet Jesus every day because he comes every day. And because one day we will stand before him in the flesh. And so we're getting the world ready for Jesus and we're getting ready for him. This is what Advent and Christmas is all about. We're getting the world ready for Jesus and we're getting ready for him. And and this and, and I, I want you to hold sort of both these things together, the sense in which he comes every day, he meets us every day, he is there every day And of course, all of that is practice for the flesh and blood of standing before him in our flesh at the end. Uh, When we have died, when he comes again, um, all of it is, it's it's true in both senses and all of this life is practice uh, for the final meeting. So we're getting the world ready for Jesus and we are getting ready for him. So what I want to do is I want to use Isaiah 40. I'm just going to work right through it, straight through it, and I've, I've broken it up in your outline there, just a few, four sections, and each of these four sections, I just want to unpack and, and, and meditate on with you this morning. What do these things tell us about the coming of the Lord? What do these um, exhortations, these admonitions do? How do they help us to think about, well, okay, every day I want to be preparing for the Lord. Every day I want to be meeting the Lord in faithfulness, and I want to be preparing every day Day to meet him, and I want to be preparing everything around me to meet him, to know him, to walk with him. How can we do that? So I've just broken Isaiah 40 into four sections. We're just going to work through each one. The, the foundation of, of walking with God, the foundation of meeting God, of being prepared for God, is comfort. The foundation for it all is comfort. And um, and this is really hard to capture in a, in in just a couple of sentences. Um, how startling these words come in the book of Isaiah. Uh, if you haven't read Isaiah recently, I would urge you to um, take some time, uh, read it um, sometime uh, soon, and and read it all the way through. At least get you know at least crank through cha- chapter forty. So you can kind of feel the weight of these words because you can read Isaiah 40 all by itself and you think, man, Isaiah, he's such an encourager. Isaiah, just that friendly guy, friendly prophet, your friendly neighborhood prophet, just encouraging people all the time. Well, well no. Actually, Isaiah is pretty rough. Uh, if you've been reading through the book of Isaiah, you, you actually in the first 39 chapters aren't sure that Isaiah has anything nice to say. Isaiah has brought sort of bad news after bad news after bad news because Israel's bad news and Judah is bad news and, they, and they've compromised with all the nations around them and there's just a ton of bad news. And so these verses actually are just thundering in, in an otherwise in this, this sort of this dark sky uh, of, of blackness and hopelessness and it's in the midst of that, that all of a sudden, and this is why many uh, commentators have, have supposed you know, faithlessly that, well, clearly this couldn't be the same Isaiah. And, and literally, so there, you know, there are theories about, you know, there's different Isaiahs, different guys that use the name, and that's what we have in our final version. It's that striking. In the, in the bleak, in the hopelessness, in the judgment, in the harshness, in all of it, suddenly come these words, comfort. Comfort. My people, comfort them. Comfort them in their broken hearts. Comfort them in their failures. Comfort them. Comfort them. Speak comfortably to Jerusalem. Cry unto her. Her warfare is accomplished. Her iniquity is pardoned. She hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Christians prepare for Christ. They prepare for their God by practicing deep comfort. They prepare by hearing those words and believing them. Your God speaks comfort to you, peace to you, speaks gently to you. you stop and think for a second. I mean, how does anyone really prepare for the living God? How does anybody get ready to meet with the living God of the universe? That's in a sense just sort of laughable. We're going to get re- We're going to, you know, God's coming over. What do you do? Like, how would you even start? And if you had worked really hard for six hours, would you have gotten any closer to really being ready for the living God to show up? No, not, not at all. I mean, you don't get. I mean, there's a, a real deep, important sense that you you don't get ready. I mean, you can. I mean, you should. You can. You can't. Right? How are you going to get ready for the living God? How would you be ready? Okay, now we're ready for him. No, you would never be ready. You would never be prepared. He's the living, infinite God of the universe and all holiness and all perfection. And we're just you know, sort of doodling in the sand. You know, we rearranged some of it. There's a sense in which you are never ready, you can't be ready, and that's why the fundamental thing in being ready is receiving these words of comfort. Comfort, why? Because you're not ready because you're not ready. You can't get ready, you can't get ready, but God can get you ready. And he gets you ready by saying comfort. And specifically, fundamentally, it has to do with recognizing all the ways in which we can't fix stuff. We've broken stuff, we've sinned, we've failed, we've rebelled. Meeting the God of the universe will be like nothing we have ever experienced. It will utterly undo us. Every secret will be laid bare. There will be nothing hidden. Everything will have a bright light shining on it. There will be no secrets, nothing hidden. There will be no excuses, no explanations, and there will be nothing for you to say. All will be exhaustively clear. And yet the glorious thing is that sinners who have hidden themselves in Christ, who have found themselves hidden in Christ, will find themselves laid bare, absolutely bare, and will look down and see the righteousness of Jesus covering them in glory. This is what his word of comfort does. He's speaking comfort to people who don't deserve to feel comfortable. That's what the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are about. And every one of us has 39 chapters too. If God wanted to, he'd go a lot longer than 39 chapters, couldn't he? But every one of us, if God says, here it is, there it is right? Could you speak that to us? And then you did this, and then you did that, and then you did that. And I saw you when you were 13, and I saw you when you were 25, and I saw you with your kids. I know it all. It's all clear. It's all, and to, to stand before the living God of the universe, who knows all things exhaustively, is to have all of that laid utterly bare, absolutely exhaustively bare. And then he speaks comfort. And God's word of comfort is the kind of word of comfort that affects what it says. God's word of comfort speaks, and it makes it so. You have no right to feel comfortable in the presence of the living God, but when God speaks comfort to you, you have nothing to do but to find comfort. And that comfort is in the person and work of his son, Jesus. It was a promise in the days of Isaiah, and it's a reality for those who know Jesus now. And so you you stand there, and you could list all of the things that are wrong, all the things that you've messed up, and that you look down, and for some reason, every time you look down, all you see is the righteousness and the perfection of Jesus. You see in yourself, there it is again, it's the perfections of Jesus, his obedience, his faithfulness, his honor, his courage, his truthfulness. That's the righteousness and the perfection of Jesus that's imputed to every believer in him. And we believe in him with rags, and then when we look down, all we have are righteous garments of perfection and beauty and goodness. And that's the comfort that he speaks. The comfort that he speaks is that your warfare is over. Your striving is over. Your trying to be good enough is over. Your competition is over. You trying to pull yourself up and compete and be something is over. And your iniquity has been pardoned. It's been all taken away. In fact, we have received double from the Lord's hand for all our sins. There are various ideas about what that might mean to receive double from the Lord's hand for for all our sins. I, I take it to mean that Isaiah is just saying it's completely done. It's the fullness. It's the fullness of having taken care of all of it. There's no remainder. It's all been taken care of doubly. God went over it twice. He made sure that the blood of Jesus would cover it exactly perfectly and there'd be no remainder. There'd be no leftovers. You would be completely pardoned. Double for all our sins. And so the foundation of preparing for Christ, to know Christ, to walk with Christ, is this deep comfort. Do you have this deep comfort? Do you know this deep comfort? All right, for, for believers, for believers we know we've only just begun actually. And so we're, we're, we wait for the deepest comfort of all, which will be that day when we stand before the living God. And we know that day is going to be the best day ever. And in that day, the reality of what Christ has purchased for us will be revealed. That's the glory of it. And so the comfort is going to be even deeper on that day. But we wait for it still. But we wait for it knowing what it's like because we've begun to taste it now. We've begun to taste it now. Do you have that comfort? If you're just running around... Like, I, you know, gotta get, I got to get all the presents and I, I got to get all this stuff done and I got to get the tree up and I got to bake the cookies and we got to have a party cause, and you got to have the Christmas cards. And if you don't have the Christmas cards, I mean, you're nothing. Right? You, you, and you're just running. You're just, you're just trying to, you know, what are you doing? If it's not comfort driving at all, then quit it. Right? How can you sing tidings of comfort and joy when your heart is running like that? The fundamental reality is this comfort. This is the bedrock. This is the foundational thing is this comfort, knowing your sins have been taken away. The righteousness of Jesus has been given to you. It's who you are in him. You you know that you belong to him, that he holds you. He carries you, and he says, comfort. You say, but what about the other 39 chapters? No, comfort. (laughs) Do you hear it? Do you hear it, and do you receive it? Do you believe it? The comfort that takes all your sins away. The comfort that says you belong to Christ. The comfort that says you belong. The comfort that says you will be carried to the end. Do you hear that comfort? This is how you prepare. This is how you walk with Christ. This is how you welcome Christ day by day. This is how you get up in the morning and he comes and you don't have dread in your heart. You have comfort in your heart. He's coming. He's gonna meet me this morning at breakfast and he's gonna meet me on the way to work and he's gonna meet me in that meeting with the coworkers and he's gonna meet me there with my fellow students studying for the, he's gonna meet me there because he comes. He's the God who comes and that's deep comfort because he is the God who has removed all my sin. Secondly, we remove every obstacle. So first, you receive the comfort, you rejoice in the comfort, you practice comfort. Secondly, you remove every obstacle. Remember, these are the words of John the Baptist crying, right, crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. It's what John the Baptist cried, and it still represents how Christians should prepare for the Lord every day. Every day, we prepare the way of the Lord. This is not something you do just at Advent. It's not something you do at Christmas. It's not just something you do at Easter, right? We prepare the way of the Lord every day. How do you prepare the way of the Lord every day? Well, we make everything a straight highway to God. That's what we wanna do. We wanna make everything a straight highway to God, everywhere, every day, we want everything in our life to be a straight highway to God. We don't want anything in our life that's getting in the way of us getting to God and God getting to us, that's the idea. In, in the first century, it was Jesus coming, God coming in human flesh, but now that Jesus has died and risen and ascended and sent His spirit, he comes to us. He comes to us every day and we're to draw near to him every day and the question is, what's in the way? Is there anything getting in the way of you drawing near to God and God coming to us? We want everything in our life to be a sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, 15 says that we want to offer a continual sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to God. This is how we offer our, our spiritual sacrifices of praise. In the Old Testament, a continual sacrifice was basically summarized by the morning and evening sacrifice. So every day, the, the Jews, the Israelites, would offer a morning sacrifice and then an evening sacrifice. And so that morning sacrifice would smolder all day long. And then, right as it was beginning to peter out, they'd offer the evening sacrifice. And the evening sacrifice would smolder all night long. And then, it just as it was finishing up, they'd start the morning sacrifice again. That's a continual sacrifice. Well, that's to be our hearts, that's to be our lips. A continual sacrifice, giving thanks to God for breakfast and the drive to work and the work that you have before you and the kids that you're taking care of and and the studies you have to complete and the lunch break and then then through the afternoon and the coffee break and then you you have the meeting and then you're coming home. Everybody has a coffee break in the afternoon, right? Come on now. And then you come home for dinner and you're giving thanks for dinner and you're giving thanks with your family and, and you're giving thanks for a good night's sleep and then you do it again. This is a continual sacrifice of praise. We want everything to be an altar of worship. We want everything to be a straight path to God, a highway to God. It's straight to him. There's no obstacles. There's nothing getting in the way. So think of then, this is the imagery, right? The, the mountains that need to get bulldozed and the valleys in the canyons that need to get filled in and the, and the rough places that need to be steamrolled and the, and the crooked places that need to be straight. I mean, it's just a big highway project. It's a big highway project. So do an inventory. What are the mountains that need to get removed? What are the valleys that need to get filled in? Where are the rough places? Where are the crooked places, right? The whole point is whatever's getting in the way of a straight highway to God, what do you do to take care of it? What do you do to take care of it? So do an inventory. Where are your valleys? Where are your mountains? Where are your rough and crooked places? Is it work? Is it your entertainment choices? Is it your thought life? Is it your extended family? Or maybe it's your immediate family. Is it your marriage? Is it your relationship with your children? Okay, what do you need to do? What do you need to do? What changes do you need to make? Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better to go to heaven with one eye than to go to hell with both your eyes. Better to go to heaven with one hand than to go to hell with both hands. Jesus is talking about a similar thing. Right? A road construction project is, is not, um, it's not done in private. A road construction project is going to be something that everybody's going to see. It's going to be kind of obvious and plain. It's right out there. You can't you can't blow up a mountain and, and nobody notice. You can't fill up a canyon and no one will notice. You can't run the steamroller all day long and nobody notice. It's kind of a big deal. And Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Jesus is intimating that that frequently repentance of sin... And getting rid of the things that get in the way of our relationship with God are going to be—it's uh, going to cause upheaval. It's going to cause upheaval. It's going to be noticeable. It's going to be disruptive. It's going to be rough. So, what do you need to do? Remove every obstacle to faithfulness and obedience to Jesus. This is this is how you prepare. How do you prepare? Well, get rid of the things that are getting in the way of you having straight highways to God. Wherever it is, whatever it is. Is it in a particular relationship? You need to address some sin. You need to go, you need to speak to somebody. You need to confess some sin. You need to change things, right? This this is, again, significant. It's causing upheaval. Maybe you need to change jobs. Maybe you need to move. Maybe you need to maybe a friendship needs some pretty significant changes, and maybe it needs to end. Maybe that friend is not leading you to God, but leading you away from God. Are there distractions in your life that are pulling you away from God? It's a detour. It's taking you off the path. You're not making a straight highway to God. Where is it? What is it? What needs to be addressed? Remove every obstacle. To faithfulness and obedience. The flip side of this is the clear implication that God is coming for all of us. There's actually this kind of wonderful ambiguity in the text. A highway for our God. Who's gonna go on the highway? Well, highway for, I mean, God doesn't typically use highways, but God prepares highways for his people. Right? God, God creates those highways for his people, God carries his people on these highways, God does whatever is needed to get the job done. So we are preparing for God, we want everything to allow us a straight shot to God, a highway to God, an altar to God, a sacrifice of praise to God, and at the same time, of course, we're doing this knowing that God is coming for all of us all the time. He is coming. Whether we're getting ready for him to come or not, he's meeting us. He's there with us, whether we acknowledge him or not, whether we give thanks or not, whether we speak to our children or our wives or our coworkers, as if he's standing there or not, he's there. He's coming. He constantly comes. And so, are we welcoming him? Are we making room for him? here in our workplace, here in our family, here at our dinner table, here in our classroom? Are we making room for him, welcoming him, recognizing that he always comes or not? The idea that all flesh shall see the glory of the Lord, that one day what is veiled now will be absolutely clear and plain to all. That's either the most wonderful news in all the world or the most terrible news. The idea that God would be there. Standing there, watching you, seeing it all, knowing it all, is either the most wonderful news in all the world or terrifying. Again, and it goes back to, and everything depends fundamentally on, do you have his comfort? Have you received his comfort? And he speaks comfort to you in the midst of your storms, in the midst of your sin. Have you received that comfort? And do you know that fundamentally, rock bottom, what you have and all you have is Jesus him crucified him risen his righteousness his perfection it's all you have it's all you know and it is enough and in that comfort you say all right I want to get everything out of the way everything out of the way anything that's getting in the way of me running to him anything that's getting in the way of me welcoming him here let's make room for him again the point is that this is not just an advent christmas thing you're going to you need to be doing this in june and july and august too we're always preparing room for him, we're always making room for him. We're always welcoming him because he comes. All flesh shall see him, and this also should be an encouragement for you to do the right thing, even if no one else is. But right now, you make choices to do things with your family, to spend your money a certain way, to use your vacation time a certain way, uh, to to spend your Sundays a certain way. You're making choices, and you're prioritizing constantly. And a lot of people can look at that and say, Why, "What are you doing?" Why'd you blow up a perfectly good mountain? Because it was getting in my way. I needed a straight path to God, right? To do these kinds of things, people were gonna look at you and, and say, you're strange, maybe worse. And so knowing that eventually all flesh shall see the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord will be evident one day. It might be in six months. It might be in six years. It might be at the end. We don't know when people will realize it. But we believe, God says, his word will accomplish this. All flesh shall see his glory. All flesh will see the point of it all. And so you need to do what you need to do. You need to be right. You need to be faithful because you need need to please him, whether they understand it or not, whether they get it or not. One day they will get it. One One day they will see, oh, you blew that mountain up because there's a beautiful sunset on the other side. Because you didn't want another day without clean access to your savior. Oh, I get it now, I get it now. And so do what you need to do now. Get rid of the obstacles, get rid of the things that are getting in the way of your faithfulness to Jesus, your highway to God, so that you can welcome him gladly, cheerfully, making room for him. Whether they see it or not, recognize all flesh shall one day see him. Third, get your priorities straight. Get your priorities straight. You prepare this world for Christ by prioritizing rightly. What really matters? Listen to these verses, verses six and following. The voice said, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is of the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth but the word of our God shall stand forever. The only way that you rightly prepare for the Lord and welcome him day after day is by prioritizing rightly, prioritizing in a biblical way, in a godly way. So you need to ask the question, what really matters? The voice cries out that flesh is grass and it withers like flowers and grass. This life is momentary, this life is short, This life is like a breath. So we want to prioritize biblically in a godly way. Now, remember, God created this world. God created this world. God created material stuff, and God said it was good. God created this world, and God said it was good. Material stuff is good. But what we need to recognize is that all of it is practice for the permanent things. This world is practice for the permanent things. This world is fading. It's not, the the fact that it's fading doesn't mean that it's evil. The fact that it's fading doesn't mean that it's not good, but it is fading. It passes away. It's momentary. And so this world and this place and this stuff is all practice for permanent things, either heavenly or hellish. You don't have the option of not practicing. You're practicing something. You don't have the option of completely checking out of this world and saying, well, I'm just not gonna have to do with stuff at all. Stuff's messy, stuff's difficult. You're just gonna screw it all up. Well, you might, but you don't have the option. You have a body. You have flesh. You are going to eat and drink, and you're going to sleep, and you're gonna put clothes on. You have to traffic in this world of stuff. The question is, basically, what are you practicing? You're either practicing something that's permanently heavenly or permanently hellish fading things aren't worthless but it's silly to pretend that the fading things are the permanent things that's the problem the problem is pretending that the fading things are the permanent things. Having your heart set on those things, having your, your goal be those things. If I just have that house, if I just have that income, if I just have that kind of car, if I just have that kind of prestige, if I have that kind of respect, if I, right? Those are, if I just have that, then I will be good. Then I will have comfort. No, well, it's going to fade. If, if I only had that, no, it's, that's going to fade too. Now the point isn't that you shouldn't want good things. The point is that you need to want the good things as ways of practicing the permanent things. You want the good things and you want better things, why? Well, because God made them, but ultimately because they ought to be the sort of things that are leading us to him. God did not create this good world as just a distraction tactic. He's not just trying to distract us. We can be distracted in it. But the point of this good world is to lead us to him. He's saying, do you see the beauty and the goodness and the glory here in this world? I'm like that, only better, only more. And so this is gonna fade over time so that you'll be hungry for the next thing. You'll be hungry for more, not so that you would be, find your fulfillment in this world, but rather that you would find your fulfillment in me. This is what goodness in this world is like. It's sort of like a, you know, a, sun, a sunrise. Maybe you've gotten up early recently for a, a flight or, you know, you've, I don't know, you've been studying for finals or something and you stayed up all night, why would you do that? Um, uh, and anyways, you, 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 you're, you've been, up, all, you know, and you've been er, up early and it's dark and all of a sudden you see the first little glimpses of light coming over um, the horizon and something in you just says, yes, or maybe, oh no. <laughs> but but, you know, but it's, it's the new day, the new day coming, it's, it's beautiful. And then you glance and you look over again and, and there's these really striking rays coming over the horizon. It's even more beautiful. And then the edge of the sun peaks up over and it's just burning red. And, this, and all the shadows are starting to streak across the fields. And then it comes all, it, right, little by little by little. And this is, this is what the goodness and the glory of God is like. It, it would be silly to, to sort of want to stop it, like stop just stop right there. I think that's good enough. No, God says, no, no, I've got more. The sun's going to keep coming up and it's going to keep getting better. This is what goodness does. Goodness actually gets more and more solid. Goodness gets more material, actually more, um, uh, more physical, more uh, established, more substantial. This is the goodness of God that we want to be hungry for. And so when you get the tree and you decorate it, when you're wrapping presents, when you're hanging the lights and when you're, when you're baking the cookies and you're doing all this, the question you need to be asking is, what am I practicing for? What am I practicing for? You're practicing for something permanent. What are you practicing for? You're either practicing joy and generosity and patience and wisdom, things that last forever in glory, or you're practicing selfishness and greed and pride and vainglory and competitiveness, worthless shadows. God's kingdom is forever, human souls are forever, God's word is forever. You don't have the option of not trafficking in this world. The question is what are you practicing for in this world? What are you practicing for? You're practicing for something permanent. Are you practicing for something permanently heavenly, permanently glorious? or permanently hellish. So as you give your gifts, what do you The point isn't the gift per se, but it matters what you give. The point isn't the decorations per se, but it matters how you decorate. Are you decorating with joy in your heart? Are you practicing joy? Are you laying down a foundation that's gonna last forever? That joy that you laid down in Christmas 2018, you're gonna look back on that, right? in the age to come, in the resurrection, and you're gonna see that layer of joy that you laid down in 2018 when you put the lights up. When you went out and bought the best presents you could, were you laying down a foundation of permanent generosity that can never be taken away. And right? not because the present itself was the thing that mattered the most, but because you gave with all your heart. You looked at the budget and you said, I think we can afford that. Let's give it with all the joy in our heart, with all the generosity we can muster, and you lay it down to last forever. Because generosity in Christ will last forever. Kindness in Christ will last forever. Mercy in Christ will last forever. Joy in Christ will last forever. Or are you practicing something else? Last, lift up your voice. How do we get ready for the coming of the Lord? How do you prepare for the Lord to come? How do you welcome the Lord every day? How do you prepare him room? You tell other people, of course. You talk about it. You tell people, how could you possibly get ready for the coming of the king of the universe without talking about it? How could you prepare without being kind of loud about it? And this is what it says. O Zion, that bring us good tidings, get thee up into the high mountains. O Jerusalem, that bring us good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, behold your God. Do you have good news? Do you have deep comfort? Do you have great joy? Do you have a mountain? You say, well, I blew it over earlier. <laughs> Remember, we dynamited it. Okay, not that kind of mountain. A mountain is a platform. How, how, how can you make the biggest deal about what, the goodness that God's shown you? How can you blow a trumpet? How can you make the biggest deal? What's your platform? Where's your mountain? get up there and yell, do you have good news? Then say it out loud, don't be afraid. And he knows, he says, you're gonna be afraid, I know, you're gonna be standing on the mountain blowing a trumpet and what are you doing? Right, what are you doing? Don't be afraid, do you have good news? Then tell it, get a mountain, what's your platform? Maybe your platform is just your family, maybe your platform is your kids, maybe your platform is your wife and your children, maybe the platform is at work, the platform is with your, your roommates, maybe it's online, maybe it's how you decorate your house, maybe it's giving cookies to the neighbors, whatever it is. What's your mountain? Well, get up on the mountain and yell. Make it clear, make it obvious. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Jesus has come. The Savior of the world has come. Your God has come. And we really need to say it like that. To the unbelievers, to the people who don't know him, your God has come. He's your God, he made you, he made this place, he made us, your God has come. This is the best news in the world. The God who made the heavens and the earth, the God who created you, knows you and loves you, he's king and he knows what he's doing, his work is before him, it says that in verse 10. He's got a project, he's gonna complete it. He's come, he's come so that we might know him, he's come so that we might have comfort in him and he's a faithful shepherd. He will gather all who are his in his arms. He will carry them. He will gently lead them. That's the good news, that we have a good shepherd. That's the good news. We have a good shepherd. So do you, are there people in your life who are hungry, who need to be fed by a good shepherd, who think this world is just churning out one hellish thing after another, who are starving? Are there people in your life who are hurting, Are there lost people in your life who need finding? Don't they need the good news of the good shepherd? Don't they need the good news of the good shepherd? Do you know the good shepherd? Why wouldn't you tell them about the good shepherd? Why wouldn't you share that with them? Well, it would be kind of embarrassing. Yeah, but he's the good shepherd, isn't he? Wouldn't it be more embarrassing at the end to find out that you knew about the good shepherd, that they needed the good shepherd and you didn't tell them? You have good news. Where's your mountain? Where's your mountain? Where's your platform? Get up there and yell. Do not be afraid. You all know that we sing a metrical version of Psalm 98. The very last verse says, Because he comes, he surely comes, the judge of earth to be. With justice he will judge the world, all men with equity. And this really is the good news of Advent and Christmas. Because he comes, he surely comes. Because Christ has come, he will never leave us or forsake us. He meets us day by day. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He meets us at the breakfast table. He meets us in the laundry room. He meets us in the car, on the drive to work. He meets us at work. He meets us coming home. He meets us all the way down. He is the God who comes. He meets us in his word. He meets us in the fellowship of the saints. He meets us every Lord's Day in worship, here in his word and at the table. So prepare him room. Prepare him room. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. That's everywhere. That's everywhere. He comes, so welcome him everywhere. He comes everywhere, why? To bring his blessings, to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. How far is the curse found? How dark is it? Where are the closets? Where are the nooks and crannies where it's the darkest? Well, Jesus comes there. He's coming for there. He's coming for that darkness, Prepare him room. We're getting everything ready because he comes. Our Father and God, we praise you and we thank you that you are the God who comes. You are not the God who is far off. You are not the God who is distant. You are the God who has drawn near. You have drawn near in your son, Jesus, because he is Emmanuel, God with us. So Father, teach this to our hearts. Teach this to our hearts in these days as we celebrate the fact that you are the God who comes, the God who has come, the God who will come. And Father, fill us with the spirit of Jesus so that we might celebrate rightly, so that we might lay down permanent things, so that we might be clothed in that deep comfort that only you can give. And Father, give us opportunities to share all this with those around us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: You may be seated. C.S. Lewis once made this striking observation. He said, Every temple in the world, the elegant Parthenon at Athens and the holy temple at Jerusalem, was a sacred slaughterhouse. But if temples smelled of blood, they also smelled of roast meat. They struck a festive and homely note, as well as a sacred. Lewis is quite right here. Ancient religions, even Judaism, were marked by the shedding of blood as a vital worship ritual. Some cultures and empires were less cruel than others in the sort of blood offered to the gods. The human sacrifices of the Aztecs make the day of Yom Kippur look quaint by comparison. But one thing shouldn't escape our notice. The sacrificial system was a horror. Even amongst God's people, restrained by his holy law, the bloodletting of countless animals causing the temple stairs to turn into a river of blood would likely make even the most stout-hearted rancher here get a little queasy but accompanying all the sacrificial blood was the festive aroma of meat over fire. Calvary was a horror, and our our nativity scenes don't always capture the nuance that the baby in the feeding trough was a lamb to be slaughtered, the lamb who was offered up to become a pleasing aroma in the Lord's nostrils. Justice would be satisfied, but joyful festivities would soon commence. This table reminds us of both the horror of God the Son bleeding out for the remission of sins and the savory aroma of a victory feast. God, through the Son's blood, has made his enemies his friends and now invites us to share in this bountiful meal, celebrating his triumph. Both the horror and joy are on this table. The somber note of the grievousness of our sins and the great price paid to forgive them turns into the trumpet blast of the celebration begun. So come and welcome to Jesus. Father, we thank you for both the horror and glory which you set before us on this table. Thank you for this weekly reminder of how deeply you hate our sin and how great your love towards us is. Thank you for wrapping your Son in human flesh that He might convert us from your enemies into your friends. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Uh, Christmas really is such an opportune time. Uh, to declare to this world, to disciple the nations by declaring that God has come. God has come in the flesh, and he is coming again. So up your game uh, over the next couple weeks. Plan to invite your neighbors and friends to the Christmas Eve service. Take them a a tray of cookies with Luke 2 printed on, on a piece of paper or invite them over and some other families over to sing Christmas carols. Make sure your hot chocolate is on point. And if you happen to own some silos, plaster Merry Christmas on them. Be obnoxious with telling the world that Christ the Savior is born. You get the idea. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon and remain with you always, and amen.